Exodus chapter number 8, verse number 1. The Word of God said, And the Lord spake unto Moses, going to Pharaoh, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber, upon thy bed and into thy house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thine ovens and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. Now the first thing I notice about this, this plague's not just on Pharaoh. It's on everybody affiliated and associated with Pharaoh. Verse number 5 says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house that they may remain in the river only. Verse number 10, you see the voice of Pharaoh as he said, Tomorrow, and he said, Be it according to thy word, thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. The frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses and the villages and out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But in verse Number nine, Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee, thy servants, and for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? Verse number ten, and he said, Tomorrow. Unusual response that I'll delve into, and if the Lord will help me, for just a few minutes this morning, I really believe I have the message, but I want you to listen as I talk to you this morning. On Pharaoh's answer, give me just one more night with the frogs. In the first of the ten plagues here in Egypt, the water was turned to blood. The hand of the Lord through Moses offended the Egyptians' little g-god the river of the Nile. The Egyptians worshipped that river as they supposed that it brought them peace and prosperity into the land of Egypt. 
But 80 years earlier, the Egyptians had fed their little G-God, that Nile River, with the blood of every newborn Hebrew son. And now in the words of the prophet Hosea, they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And now the river that they so loved that 80 years earlier had swallowed the lifeless bodies of multitudes of innocent Hebrew children had now become a horrifying, putrid flow of human blood that polluted the land and fouled the air with the nauseating stench of cankered blood accompanied with hordes of dead fish. That that they so loved and that that they so worshipped and that that they so wanted had turned against them. Now when you sow seeds this morning, don't you ever forget you will reap what you sow. You don't sow bad seeds and expect to get good crops. But secondly, you reap later than you sow. You don't sow today and go out tomorrow and expect to get a crop. Your crop will come in somewhere way on down the road. And there's some of you that you think you've got away with some things in your life and you'll find out somewhere on down the road your crop's going to pop up. You'll reap what you sow. You'll reap later than you sowed and you will reap much, much more than what you sowed. Some of you today are finding that God's principle of sowing and reaping is absolutely true. But when we look at the plague of the frogs, and there's no way I can even begin, and it's a wonderful study to study these ten plagues on Egypt. But when you look at the plague of the frogs, I want to show you first of all the design of grace. God will get his glory. You know that? One way or another, God's going to get glory. God did not preordain that Pharaoh would go to hell. Pharaoh made that choice himself. But God in his sovereignty elevated Pharaoh to the position that he was in because God knew in his sovereignty, God knew in his all-knowing wisdom that Pharaoh was never going to break. God knew that. And God said, I'll just raise you up, old boy, and I'll get glory out of you anyway. I promise you God's going to get glory out of you one way or another. Word of God said at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you can do that here and now or you can do that at the great white throne judgment just before you're cast into an eternal burning lake of fire. But one way or another you will bring God glory. You mark her down. God's going to get his glory. But in the design of grace, Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, could have chosen to plague the Egyptians with lions or tigers or bears or any number of savage beasts that would have utterly destroyed them instantly. But God in his infinite mercy and his infinite wisdom chose to challenge the pride of those people with disgusting little frogs. God's God. 
God knows what to do to get your attention. God didn't want to destroy them right now. God wanted to challenge their pride in their heart and find out who they were and where they were and what they were made of. And God sent disgusting, despicable little frogs as a measure of grace. You see the disgust of the plagues and like that river now. The frogs were worshipped by the Egyptians. They worshipped just about everything. The Egyptians had a female deity that appeared with the head of a frog. Once again, the creature that was worshipped and loved and adored more than the Creator had turned to plague the land and their lives. And the disgust of this is that their little G-God had turned on them once again. And I see, folks, that God tries to help to get them to a place that they're disgusted with the plagues of their little G-gods in their lives. And you better know and understand those little things that you elevate above God in your life will turn and get you one day. You put your children on a pedestal above God. You put your grandchildren on a pedestal above God. And you worship them. And you bow down to them. And one day they'll turn and they'll break your heart. Hey, you chase after a dollar bill. And you spend your life working to make money. And you neglect your family. One day that that you've lived for will turn and rend you. And you'll find out one day the things you worship more than you worship the holy God will come back and bite you and plague you and you'll wish 10,000 times you'd have chosen another path. There's a disgust to that, buddy. I'm going to tell you what, there ain't nothing like living your life for God. There ain't nothing like putting Him number one and letting Him be the sovereign Lord of your life because you'll never have a regret. But I'm going to tell you what, I love Him. You see in this story the depravity of man. Pharaoh wanted a solution But Pharaoh did not want submission. He wanted rid of the frogs, but he wanted to hang on to them Israelis. And so full of pride, Pharaoh shows the condition of his heart. And that Pharaoh would rather spend one more night with the frogs at the expense of the suffering of his own family and the suffering of his own people just to buy him a little bit of time that he could plot and scheme how can I get out of this thing without having to let them go. God the sweet Holy Ghost draws on men's hearts and says you must be born again. And man holds back and says, God, I I, I don't mind being born again. I want to go to heaven, but let me hang on just a little longer. God, give me one more night to try to straighten this thing out myself. God, give me one more opportunity, Lord, just to back off and and try to get this thing straightened out and get a grip on it by myself. Let me make you a promise. You ain't never going to get a grip on it. It's got a grip on you, buddy. It's got a throat hold on you, and it'll take you down to hell one day. And you think you can get a hold of something that's already got a hold of you. And what Pharaoh did is Pharaoh tried to make a deal and make a bargain in the depravity of his own soul. Pharaoh just wanted a little bit of time to straighten this thing out. And the depravity of man says, God, leave me alone. I'll deal with this by myself. I see in this story the demand of God. 
God absolutely emphatically this morning of me and you and every human being demands a response. Oh, yeah. God demands that you and I make a decision this morning. The Word of God in Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 Joshua said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua brought the children of Israel to a place. He said, You're going to have to make a decision. 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people answered him not a word. Elijah said, You're going to have to make a decision. But before the day was out, they made their decision. But you're going to have to make a decision. But the nature of man is to halt between two opinions. That means to be crippled and to stumble between different opinions. And that's what many of you have done in these services in this building. Have halted between opinions. And you know deep down in your heart what you need. But you know deep down in your heart what you want. And what's got a hold on you. And you stumble between those things. But God will bring you to a place where God demands you're going to have to stand up and make a decision. Do you want God or do you want your flesh? God won't let you just go. God will pin you down. God will back you in a corner. You're going to have to make a decision. I know you don't like that. I didn't like it when God backed me in a corner either, buddy. But it's got to be necessary. The demands of God. The new birth is in effect a new beginning. Hang with me here. Facilitated and made possible by faith and repentance. And once you're truly born again, from that point forward, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings that's facilitated by faith and repentance. In other words, once you get saved, you live the same way you got saved. You got to learn how to trust God and repent. You got to have a teachable spirit and say, okay, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I don't know anything. But God, if you'll show me, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And faith is a childlike trust. But repentance through a tender, submissive, humble, teachable, yielded spirit is simply a willingness to respond and conform to the image and to the will of God. That's what repentance is about. You can't just fix yourself. You can't just straighten up. But what God demands of a man to be saved is a willingness from his heart to let God change him. Total surrender and total submission to the will of the Father is inherently diametrically opposed to every fiber of our mortal being. It ain't in your nature to submit to God or nobody else. And man will not willingly submit to the demands of God. And therefore it is necessary for total surrender that there be a supernatural work of God in the heart of a man. But if God leaves you so much as a little bit of wiggle room, you'll run as hard as you can go. And the night I got born in the Spirit of God, Brother Jesse, I was so broke down, I couldn't run no more. 
And that night on that couch, Brother Wesley, I had to make a conscious decision that night. Would I trust God or would I perish? This morning, in the wisdom of God, God takes situations and circumstances that the devil means for harm and means for evil and turns those ill, hateful situations into hidden blessings that tenderizes the hearts of some and prepares them to receive grace. Buddy, you're a living example right there of how God takes a tragedy in a life and begins a work in the heart of a man to humble him down, to break down his defenses and get him to the place where he don't want to fight against God anymore. And God worked that sovereign work in my heart, that supernatural work in my heart that got me to the place that I didn't want to kick against the pricks no more. I was tired of fighting against God. I've seen many of you come to the house or come to this altar and say, Preacher Mike, I'm tired of fighting this thing. I'm tired of wrestling against God. The devil's whooped me and I ain't nothing I can do. I got to surrender. Ain't it amazing how God can use situations in your life? You think the devil's trying to kill you. What that is is God trying to break you. Exodus chapter number 4, don't you miss this. Verse number 14. The word of God said, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God's told Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Moses immediately, like all of us, begins to make excuse. Moses said, Lord, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm slow of speech. Obviously, Moses must have had some speech impediment, something that caused him to not want to stand publicly before the Pharaoh. And the word of God says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But if you'll read through that scripture, you'll find that that's all it took for Moses to straighten up. There was times in my childhood, all my daddy had to do was look at me with that look and it fixed me right up. Because I knew what that look meant. You know what that tells me? That tells me something about the condition of the heart. And after 40 years of being out of Egypt, out in the desert taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, after 40 years of not having to really deal with anything down in Egypt, God brought Moses to a place Moses had to make a conscious decision. Then you see for 430 years, those precious Hebrews have been in bondage in Egypt. And you see Moses goes down there and Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Do sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, if you got time to sacrifice, you got idle time on your hands. And he told the taskmaster, said, stop giving them straw. Let them go out and find stubble to make their bricks and their mortar with. And things got a whole lot worse on those precious Hebrews. And you'd think God was being mean to them. God wasn't being mean to them. God was hemming them up into a corner 
where they could see just how cruel their taskmasters was because after 430 years in bondage, those Hebrews are going to have to make a conscious decision. Are they going to die in Egypt or are they going to go with Moses? God demands a decision this morning. And me, as well as you, as well as every individual, will have to make a decision. Then you find Pharaoh. God deals with Pharaoh in such a way. God already knows his heart. God already knows Pharaoh's not going to break. But God brings Pharaoh to a place Pharaoh publicly is going to have to show who and what he is. During the plague of the frogs, Pharaoh wanted rid of the frogs. But he did not want to submit to the will of God. Pharaoh cried out, give me one more night with the frogs. Get rid of them tomorrow. That's what a lot of folks do in this building. If I can hang on just a little longer, maybe things will get better. No, they ain't going to get better. God's going to put you in a place you're going to have to make a decision. You've got a choice to make, and you're going to have to show what it is, and it's going to show, and everybody's going to know. And the same hardship that humbles one hardens another. And what this all boils down to is the condition of the heart. Because I've seen some folks go through trials and afflictions that I thought surely they'd break down like a little child and run to God with all their might. And Brother Jesse, they just got meaner and they just got harder. And the more they went through, they stood up and said, I can take it. I can stand it. I can do it myself. You see the damnation of Pharaoh. For his entire existence, Pharaoh had lived a life of privilege in which not one time had he ever seen the need to bow or yield himself to anyone or anything. Pharaoh didn't see a need to bow to God or the man of God. And intoxicated with a lust for power and authority and control, Pharaoh did not want to submit to the will of God or the man of God or anything that had to do with God. He wasn't going to submit. Hey, that's where some of you are this morning. It ain't that you just adamantly oppose to God and hate God. That's not it. You just love yourself. And you ain't willing to scoot down off the throne of your heart and let God take his rightful place. I know that. I live there. Brother Wesley, as best I understood for the first 25 years of my life, I really thought I loved God. But Brother Jesse, as it turned out, I really loved myself. I wanted what I wanted. And I didn't want to be humbled. I didn't want to be humiliated. And I did not want to surrender. I did not want to submit. And I did not want to relinquish control of my life and give it to God. That brought about the damnation of Pharaoh. Even after the fateful night when that death angel passed through Egypt, the pride of Pharaoh that night cost him his firstborn son. Now Pharaoh stands and weeps. The word of God said there was not a house in Egypt. Listen to me. The word of God said there was not a house in Egypt that didn't have a dead body that night. Pharaoh's actions didn't just hurt Pharaoh. They hurt everybody. 
throughout the entire land. And your sin don't just hurt you. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your children. It'll destroy your grandchildren. And it'll hurt everybody that loves you. In your circle of friends and in your church, your sin hurts everybody. But at the expense of all that, that night, Pharaoh had broken emotions. And Pharaoh said, get you people and get out of here. Bless me. Get out of my face. Pharaoh had broken emotions. But Pharaoh did not have a broken will. He blubbered and cried and his son was gone. And Pharaoh said, go away, leave, have whatever you want. Just go leave us alone and let us weep and mourn over our dead. Pharaoh had a religious, emotional experience. But Pharaoh didn't repent. His heart might have been broke, but his will was very much intact. Because when the children of Israel had passed over the Red Sea, Pharaoh in the hardness of his heart said, What have we done that we've let them escape our hand? And Pharaoh followed them into the water, not knowing he was following them into a liquid grave. You see the damnation of Pharaoh brought on by the pride of a man that rather than repent when it was easy, rather than repent when God tested their pride with some little old bitty slimy frogs, Rather than repent, Pharaoh said, Give me one more night with the frogs. What do you want this morning? I know what you want. I know you want that that every flesh wants. You want one more night with the frogs. That's what I want. Brother Wesley, even as a man of God, I don't like being broken and brought to a place where I have to make a decision. I know sinners don't like being broke down to a place that you've got to make a decision how long we halt between two opinions. Either you're going to serve God or serve yourself. I know people don't like to be brought to that. People would rather spend one more night with the frogs. Let's see how this thing turns out. But I promise you that if some of you would wake up and look around, why in the name of heaven can't you see that God has worked things in your life to bring you to a point. He's backed you into a corner and you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to have to humble yourself before God or be destroyed. And you mark her down, God's God. He's holy. He's humble. He's sweet. He's tender. But He is a righteous judge. And if you make that decision, He will destroy you. What are you going to do this morning? God's tried to make it easy. God ain't rained hellfire and brimstone on you yet. Will you wait till the tribulation? He will. Let me just make this clear. After 430 years of bondage in Egypt, God brought the children of Israel to a place they had to make a decision. And what we see unfolding before our very eyes this morning is the gateway that is leading us to seven years tribulation in which one more time God's going to paint Israel into a corner where they're going to have to make a decision. Hey, that's what, can you see that? 
my soul in heaven, would you look around at what God's doing? God is just working and moving his hand to work all that turmoil in Israel and turn Jerusalem into a cup of trembling to try to prepare the hearts of those people to repent. And after seven years of tribulation, they're going to repent. What are you going to have to go through before God gets your goat? Or will he ever? Or will you just harden your heart and say, No, give me one more night with the frogs. It's about nice clothes.